Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Opinion. I'm Vonnie Quinn. Well, the count goes on, but we have the broad parameters of what the next Congress will look like. I spoke with Bloomberg Opinion's Jonathan Bernstein about the midterms, what they mean for legislating during the lame duck session and into the next Congress, and also what the results mean for the parties and candidates in 2024. I have to say, Jonathan, you call this in a lot of senses when it comes to the issues that voters were voting on, for example. And, you know, you said that it was not a slam dunk. And the only other person I've heard say that is Michael Moore recently. <laughs> well, I'm you not sure how to react to that one. <laughs> All right, so Jonathan, we're talking Wednesday afternoon. Nevada and Arizona have yet to be called, and it's all but certain that Georgia is headed for a special election December 6th. However, we do know a lot, an awful lot, about U.S. democracy right now. Is it in less trouble than we thought? Yeah, I think so, with huge numbers of caveats about that we're not out of the woods and the threat's still real and things could change rapidly. But there were a number of positive signs. After a very bad start in the primaries, we had some candidates refusing to concede during their Republican primaries. We had efforts to harass election workers all summer and fall. We had, in the early voting in Arizona, a couple of these clowns show up in military gear observing drop boxes and intimidating voters. But then, as Election Day came, that sort of dropped off, Mm -hmm. and we didn't get stories, at least not significant organized efforts at, at voter intimidation, which was a real fear. We didn't, so far, as we're speaking, this could change any minute, but Republicans who have lost have conceded properly, normally, and while there are some crazy conspiracies that are circulating, they have not migrated, they have not made the important step of migrating into the mouths of politicians and, for the most part, to high-profile Republican-aligned media. So So the concessions are interesting. As you say, it's sort of back to business as normal, the old politics that we knew and loved. Did something change within the Republican Party? Did these people get the message from leadership that they were to do this? I have not seen any reporting on this. The threats to democracy didn't start with Donald Trump. Mm. They have deep roots in the party going back quite some time and having gotten worse, and that's one of the reasons we got Trump. But Trump himself is an outlier. Trump himself feels completely, apparently, or at least he does it, completely willing to claim fraud no matter what. He doesn't need some sort of pretext. He proclaimed fraud in every election he was on the ballot before the election happened. He proclaimed that he was ripped off by fraud after winning the presidency. (laughs) The one time you would think that a candidate would want to increase respect for elections and confidence in elections, he still said there was tons of fraud that he had no evidence for. And I think that it turns out that when the leader of their party is saying it very loudly. A lot of Republicans go along either because they think the incentives are there that they're better off agreeing with the leader of their party or possibly just because 
they actually believe it. I think a lot of rank-and-file voters and some of the candidates come out of the rank-and-file voter group, you know, they hear a Republican president say something, they figure, well, he may be exaggerating, but there's got to be something to it or else he wouldn't say it. Mm. It turns out Donald Trump's willing to say a lot of things just because he says them. (laughs) And, And that is unusual obviously very dangerous. So that, I think, helped. I think we got a little lucky, so far at least, that most of the losers lost by a substantial amount. Again, if that was Trump, it wouldn't stop them from claiming fraud. But, you know, normal people, if they lose an election by 8, 10, 15 percentage points, they see what's going on. I mean, lucky, but also more people registered and so on. And it was you know, sure. a different election. In fact, a very, very different election, one of a kind. Speaking of Trump, Dr. Oz did terribly. It took more money than expected to win in Ohio. Governors that had not had Trump's backing, like Kemp and DeWine, they won fine without Trump. Mm-hmm. Carrie Lake is in trouble in Arizona in the governor's race. What position does this all leave Trump in? You know, it's very hard to tell because there have been other moments where it was clear that Trump was a drag on the party and that his judgment is terrible. You know, he endorsed these candidates who were terrible candidates, mm-hmm. and he's not good at this kind of stuff. Now, it doesn't bother him. Apparently, he was blaming his wife for his endorsement of Dr. Oz. <laughs> I mean, that, that ship has sailed. You know, Donald Trump is, of course, the only president we've ever had who repeatedly criticized extreme criticisms of his own cabinet nominees. Mm-hmm. People he put in his own cabinet turned out to be horrible, horrible people, and he never took any responsibility for that. So we've had these points before, and Republican politicians and other party actors and the Republican-aligned media have not made the decision to cut him off. And perhaps because they really don't believe that he's harming them, or perhaps because of other reasons. I think the Republican-aligned media has ratings incentives. He sells a lot of books, he sells a lot of ads, Mm. and increases ratings. So there's that, and I think a lot of candidates are just afraid that he will go after them, even though the evidence isn't really there that he's that much of a threat, but politicians tend to be paranoid about that sort of thing. we'll, We'll come back to Trump in a moment, but what kind of lessons should Republicans learn from this election, given that they really didn't do as well as expected? particularly in places like the Midwest, and it may mean that a sweep in 2024 is off the table. For example, mail-in voting, should they embrace it? I do think that Republicans, by demonizing mail-in voting, are making it more difficult for their own voters. I don't know that there have been any careful studies that actually show that it makes a difference. Mm. So that's something. I, no, I don't think this tells us anything about 2024. Two years is a huge long time, and there's basically no correlation between what happens in midterms and what happens in the next presidential election. But I think the main thing Republicans, I hope, take away from this is that opposing democracy is dangerous, that running on a platform without having any policies to address the problems that they point out is not necessarily a plus with voters, and that having a bunch of flakes and otherwise you know, unqualified candidates can be harmful. Whether that's the lesson they empirically should take from what happened, I don't know. It takes a long time to study exactly why elections came out as they did. And even if we had all the votes counted, you still have to do a lot of work to actually find the causal relationships. But what parties take away from things has very little to do sometimes with reality and more to do with internal interests within the party, internal factions within the party, and how they 
fight to have their interpretation of what happened become the leading explanation. So, for example, we've already seen anti-abortion Republicans, organized groups of anti-abortion Republicans, say that the reason that Republicans lost is because they did from the issue of abortion. Now, I don't think that's true. Yes. <laughs> um, Seems but, rather a flimsy argument. Yeah, I think, in fact, abortion cost them badly, and the candidates shied away from it because they knew that it was costing them. But, you know, they're going to try to float that, and they may be successful. It's a powerful issue within the party, among party voters in primaries. So it's certainly true in the immediate aftermath that one of the things they're fixating on is candidate quality. Mm. Now, the question becomes, can you be a party of anti-democratic conspiracy thinking and recruit decent candidates. So they didn't just by coincidence have a bunch of lousy candidates. They had a bunch of lousy candidates in part because their voters wanted to hear crazy conspiracy thinking and in part because solid, regular politicians weren't willing to run in Republican primaries because they didn't want to be beat up for saying things like, oh, yes, Joe Biden won the election. Yeah, it seems um, so, obvious in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is, it's it's easy to say, oh, we had a bunch of bad candidates, but the bad candidates weren't just a coincidence that happened to happen or that was, it's not just about Donald Trump's bad judgment in endorsements. It's also about what the party is right now. And they have some deep problems. And the last of the first hours after the election, it could be worse in terms of what their reaction is. Mm. But we, we still have to see what it's going to be like. More next on Bloomberg Opinion. I'm Vonnie Quinn. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Speaking of problems, yeah. Kevin McCarthy isn't a slam dunk for speaker. I mean, he'll likely get it, but he may have to do some negotiation. What kind of negotiation do you imagine will go on within the Republican Party in order to have him be speaker? Well, we don't even know, as I speak, that they, that Republicans definitely have the majority. I believe they will have the majority. I've, I've believed that the whole time. Um, you just don't avoid a, a seat loss when you're when you're the president. When the president's party. Um, so assume that he gets a majority, but it's a slim majority. There's two steps, right? He, first, and this will come up uh, next week. Uh, this will come up um, uh, on Monday and Tuesday uh, this coming week. Um, the Republicans are going to vote on who their speaker candidate should be. Mm. So in order to do that, he has to win a majority of 
of the House Republicans. But then he has to win on opening day of the new Congress, January 3rd. He's going to have to win a majority of the House. And if he has, say, if Republicans have a four or five or six seat margin, he has to hold all of the Republicans. In the old days, that was easy. It was an automatic vote. Everybody knew that you voted for your party's candidate for speaker. In recent years and among the... Among House Freedom Caucus types, you know, um, you those are not automatic votes. And the problem is that we also have with Democrats, with I'm sorry, with Republicans picking up several seats in New York, for example, um, we have some Republicans who may be not eager to have a more extreme ver- speaker. And so there's always a possibility we'll have chaos. Um, you know, the, the thing is that. We've already had some of the extremists in the House Republican Conference come out and say, I hope we have a narrow margin, then I'll have more leverage. Well, the truth is that in real life, you don't have much leverage if you're on the extreme of your party. Mm. But they've been able to get away with that, partially because the rest of the party lets them. We don't know whether they'll be able to get away with that in in the next Congress, and they may. And if if they do, if we have a slim Republican majority that's bossed by the 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 most extreme members, it's going to be a mess. Kevin McCarthy will definitely have to give up certain things, but I guess we, we may never know what they may be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really clear what he can promise or what, um, you know, what the, what the demands are going to be, because a lot of these people are not, you know, calculating... Um, policy-interested politicians. These are people whose main goal is to have grievances and, and uh, exp- you know, and go on Fox News or, you know, the radio talk shows or the more extreme networks and complain about things, mm. including the leadership of the Republican Party. So I'm not sure what he can give some of these extremist members because they're not interested. You can't say, oh, yes, I'll give you a vote on this bill that you care about because that's not what their thing is. That's not what they're interested in. Yeah, and that's why the Republican Party is not very equipped to, to uh, run the House. Well, speaking of members and senators that have had power over the last couple of years, does Joe Manchin have as much power as he had going forward? Um, you know, assuming that Democrats have a majority in the Senate, um, whether it's 50 or 51 seats or even 52 is possible right now, I think, um, I have to get the math in my head. Um, The thing is, if there's a Republican majority in the House, then no. Anything that passes and becomes law is going to need a supermajority to get there because you're going to have to have both Republicans and Democrats. Because if anything that becomes law has to get through the Republican, if it has to get through a Republican House, it's going to have to get Republican votes in the Senate. It's also going to have to get Democratic votes in the Senate. So you know, the same way that the filibuster kept him from being the swing vote on a lot of things, um, a, a divided government will keep him from being the swing vote on a lot of things. So his, that's, you know, well, his energy permitting bill then is in trouble. Well, that said, some of the things that if, if he is a aggressive legislator, it's very possible that he could put together coalitions that are bipartisan coalitions on some things. We just don't know what has any chance to get through the House of Representatives is the thing. Wasn't it fascinating that climate change was up there in terms of voter priorities? 
You know, I, 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 my general feeling on all this stuff is to wait and look more carefully as more studies go out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's easy for voters to say stuff, whether that means that, and and it's it's interesting what's you know what they tell pollsters is on the top of their minds, whether that actually move vo- their votes or not is a much more complicated question yeah, and sometimes difficult to study. But, you know, I think that generally the polling over the years has shown that dealing with climate has been a popular position for the last at least decade. And I think one of the things that we get out of the one of the ways to think about this election is that Republicans were very, very certain that their issues were wildly popular with voters. But it may be that they were, they were wrong. Bloomberg Opinions, Jonathan Bernstein. And do please weigh in. You can email me at vquinn at bloomberg.net. We love to hear from you. Bloomberg Opinion airs every weekend on Bloomberg Radio and every Friday as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We're produced by Eric Mollo. Till next time on Bloomberg Opinion. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.